Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Property podcast with your host, yours truly, Hayley. And I'm joined today with Mike Pete to talk all about mortgages. Mike is so experienced in mortgages and I just had to get him on an episode. We go into so much detail about all you need to know about mortgages and how to prepare for your first mortgage. So I've really tried to make things easier for you if this is your first time um so if you need to make notes make notes if you need to listen to in stages listen in stages do whatever suits you but please note some of the audio in this episode may be a little bit inconsistent so i'm so sorry about that but hopefully it doesn't take away from the amazing information that is being shared hope you enjoy hey mike Thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Could you just give a brief introduction so all the listeners know who you are and what you do? So, hi Hayley, my name is Mike Pete. I am a sales director for a large national company of mortgage brokers. I've worked here for probably the best part of two years. Before that, I did a very similar role for a different company. And previous to that, I was a mortgage broker for 10 years. That sounds amazing. How have you found working in this industry during COVID? Um, recently, it's been challenging, Haley, is what I would say. So, you know, the whole world got turned upside down last year. And being a mortgage broker, watching the guys do their day to day has been very challenging. Sort of lender criteria changes a lot. Uh, the deals in the market change a lot. What lenders will lend. The affordability changes a lot and it still now hasn't settled down. It's a very, very busy time for us. Yeah, I can imagine. This just sounds like complete stress. Like the amount of changes at the moment is absolutely insane. It's even hard as just an average person just to keep up, let alone someone that is actually working in the industry. So I can imagine how hard it's been for you. Do you think things are ever going to go back to how they were before? I'm a really positive person, Hayley. And I very much hope it gets back to back to normal. If, if it doesn't, we'll adjust, we'll adapt and move on with it. The mortgage market itself is a very adaptable place. There's already been lenders doing things to make it easier as time goes on. So I'm sure if it doesn't go back to what normal was before, it will return to a really good period of stability. Do you know what? I love the positivity. This is actually what we all need right now. Because I've even noticed that the deposit amounts are creeping up ever so slightly. Like it will just creep up in like 5% increments. Um, I know that when I first started um, getting interested into property, that was more like late 2018, early 2019. Um, You know, 5% deposits were still about. And now that looks like, that just seems like a long lost memory. So I think one thing that is on everyone's mind is are we ever going to see these 5% deposits return? That is one of those big million dollar questions, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. picking it apart, are we going to see mortgages with a 5% deposit come back? Yes, absolutely. When are we going to see them come back? That is a much oh, more tricky <laughs> question to answer for you. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, way, the way the lenders think is the smaller the deposit, the higher the risk. And at the minute, I just can't imagine they'll be wanting to take a risk of something which to them is a relatively small deposit, if that makes sense. So... I'd like to cross my fingers and say second half of this year. However, I think that will just be depend on how 
how the worldwide picture pans out. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing, like, we just have to wait and see at the moment to see what happens. Um, But for the listeners that don't really understand why this is all happening, could you explain the reason for all these changes in the mortgage mortgage application process? Um, So that's a good question. And if if you imagine yourself as a lender, someone that's going to give a friend money, it's Mm -hmm. all about risk. So if your friend has a really good track record of paying people back, you're probably more likely to lend them money. Also, it's about collateral and the chance to get your money back. So if you're going to lend your friend some money and they say, do you know what, if I don't pay, you can have my car. If that car is worth significantly more than the money you've lent, you're going to feel really relaxed. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, that car, for example, is worth just a bit more the same or potentially in a few months a little bit less you're probably going to be more hesitant and that is the simplest way that a bank would look at it with a a lower deposit mortgage that if the economy took a turn for the worse then house prices could potentially come down it would then in the bank size put the person in negative equity they then can't pay their mortgage if they lose their job the bank's ability to get all their money back reduces massively that that's what they worry about and that's why they're very reluctant to lend at those smaller deposits yeah and this is the thing like when it's explained it makes a hundred percent sense like you you get it like you understand um but i think when you're when you're living in it it's something different like you just start thinking why why do i have all these restrictions against me why is it not easy to buy a house anymore but it all boils down to the fact that the whole process is like it's a business at the end of the day and nobody wants to lose out on their money so it's just hard and it's especially hard for people that want to purchase houses and just genuinely find that there is everything working against them especially for those that live in London with the ridiculous house prices that are out there. It's, it's a challenge. I, you know, I I work with some of my colleagues, they work in the north and west of London and the property prices there make my eyes wince every time. I <laughs> oh my God, honestly. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's one of those, it's unfortunately one of those things, isn't it? And, you know, I think if you, if you spoke to a bank, they would say they would be doing their utmost to do what they can to make mortgages affordable. At the same time, they're a commercial business, they, they need to make some money and they can't ultimately do a lot of risky lending that we saw happen before in the financial crisis or you know 2007 8 9 where you know they had lent at higher higher than 95% loans and values and they got stung a bit for it yeah cuz even talking about it now like it's just triggering how you know i was purchasing a property around august times in 2020 and it was just so difficult to even get past the um, mortgage application process because of all the changes so you know initially I thought I'd be able to put down 10% found out that I couldn't put down 10% and even if there was a lender that would allow me to put down 10% the um, my affordability was altered so much to the point where it was meaning it meant that like I couldn't really afford the property anymore Um so it was kind of just like a lose-lose situation in every way, shape or form. Yeah, and, and what you've described, Hayley, is, is something we see every day. It's such a common situation and why you see a lot in the news about the bank of mum and dad where people do do their best 
to you know support their family by potentially giving them some money for a deposit to top them up. There, there are a few products on the market where people can put the money in a savings account potentially, and as long as the mortgage is looked after and paid properly for three years, they can have that money back with some interest if they can't afford to give it the whole time. But you're right, it's a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, honestly. And to be fair, I'm just hoping, like you were positive earlier, that everything kind of like changes soon and this whole home buying process is just so much easier um so i get a lot of first-time buyers coming to me asking me questions um in particular about the mortgage application process so one thing that i thought would be really really useful for us to do today um would be to talk through the mortgage application um process and kind of get like a little checklist going on um so that is easy for people to refer to and like for the listeners i can then put what mike says into a post and it will be just readily available if it's easier that way um as like a post on instagram too so so yeah do you have um do you have sort of like a checklist that people need to bring with them to their mortgage to their mortgage broker appointments or their mortgage advisor appointments yes absolutely so I'd start with the fact the vast majority of mortgage advisors would be the, f- the first thing they'll do is after a, a sort of an initial conversation, we'll provide you with a list. The lists are relatively standard. Um, there's going to be the basics that they need and there's going to be some niceties that really make their job easier and make it quicker for them to give you the best advice. So sort of on the basic list would be a form of photographic ID, so a passport, ideally, or if not, your driving licence. Proof of address, so a bank statement or a recent utility bill. Um, Proof of income, so if you have an employed job, at least your last three months pay slips. If you get sort of what I would call variable pay, so commission, bonus or overtime, six months wouldn't hurt. If you're self-employed, either your last two years tax calculations and tax years overviews or your accounts from your accountant three months bank statements from each of the current accounts you use um, they're going to be looking to see sort of your salary being paid in and what your expenditure is so looking for your bank statements um, on the nice to have list would be your credit report for me if you want to get good advice quickly providing your broker with a credit report is gonna make it so much easier for them to work out what they can and can't do for you um, proof of deposit is something which is good to see because that can be a little bit of a sticky situation with solicitors sometimes where they can ask for it last minute. So getting it up, getting it done and ready up front is always good. Details. And what would a proof of deposit look like? That's a really good question. So if it's your own savings, probably six to 12 months of your bank statement showing that you've had the money. If it's a gift from mum and dad, most lenders will want a letter explaining it's a gift and a broker would be able to help with what that letter needs to say and then mm-hmm. probably their bank statement showing they've had the money um it depends where you're getting your deposit from the vast majority of lenders wouldn't accept a loan for a deposit for example so it's just proving that you've had it and it's your money it's mostly for money laundering so they can just make sure that the money that you say is yours and you're using has come from somewhere where it should have sorry mike do you know with a gifted deposit can someone just whoever's gifting you it say it's my mother can she just drop 
I don't know, 20 grand in my account and then it's done. And then I just say, it shows that, you know, um, my mum has put 20 grand in the savings account or should she keep it in her account? And then she sends a letter to um, the mortgage lender or the solicitor to say that um, I have this money for Hayley. Um, the second option is by far the preferable one because it, it stops any further questions and delays later. Um, the, the advice that I would always say to someone is that if mum and dad or aunt, uncle are giving you a gifted deposit, that's great. Don't move the money until the solicitor asks you to move it because that way the burden of proof is much lower because if they've had the money, then they move it to you. You're going to be, the solicitor's then going to want all their bank statements then plus yours since you've had it. So if it stays there till they ask for it, it's a, it's a much simpler thing to take care of. And the letter, um, again, it's not a big deal. It's just really a simple letter just confirming that they're giving you the money and it's not a loan. This is the other few things I had on my list is that if you've got any debts or like credit cards, loans, some details of them would be good. Um, and details of any insurance you have, like life cover, critical illness cover, income protection, because a broker is going to want to visit that with you as well. And then finally, your sick pay details from work. Oh, that's actually really interesting because I've never been asked for anything to do with my sick pay at work um, from my mortgage broker. Um, so that is probably nothing to do with your mortgage, Hayley. It's more to do with if you're going to consider some income protection in case you you might be sick, can't pay your mortgage. That's the sort of information they would use to sort of recommend how that policy would be set up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. So that's more like the process once they go through all the different yeah, insurance policies. Absolutely. And it's like, like, like anything, ideally, if you get it all in early, it makes the process for you much smoother. Thank you so much for this, Mike. I'm definitely going to make this into a visual post on Instagram so that all the listeners can refer back um, to this checklist in their own time and they don't feel the pressure to just quickly write everything down. Um, one thing that I did actually experience when I first started talking to a mortgage advisor was feeling slightly overwhelmed because I felt like I didn't have everything prepared to send over and I'm a little bit of a stress head. Um, so I know that this post will definitely help because it just takes literally like a couple of minutes just to prepare everything and then you've got it all ready and everything is just more straightforward. So it's definitely worth it. Um, just get just having a look over that checklist and just getting everything done before you go and actually talk to your mortgage advisor because they will all pretty much ask for the same thing anyway. Um, another thing that I would like to touch on is all the different terminology that mortgage advisors will use when they're trying to find the best product for you. So I found it a little bit hard to understand all the different types of mortgages available for me and understanding like what a good interest interest rate was and what a bad interest rate was um so yeah if we could just go into a little bit more detail about that so as a first-time buyer like what sort of mortgages are most suitable for me um yeah I feel like I've just asked a lot only once but yeah hopefully you you're able to to help with this no no I I, I get the question Hayley and it is probably one of the most common questions that we get asked so what I'd say before I answer your question is that Ultimately, this will depend on your in individual circumstances and there's no right or wrong answer, if that makes sense. It's not, it's not something that if your mate does A and you do B, neither of you are right or wrong. As long as you've had that conversation and the advice you've got is based on your individual circumstances, both answers are correct, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. There's predominantly 
two types of mortgages people will look at. They'll either look at a fixed mortgage, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Your monthly payment is fixed each month. You'll know what it's going to be. And a fixed rate will typically last two, three or five years. Again, that 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 choice is going to depend on personal circumstance. And then you get variable type mortgages, which break down into a variable rate, a tracker rate and a discount rate are the most common ones. They're similar in the fact that each month, potentially your payments could go up, stay the same or go down. That doesn't necessarily mean that will happen every month. If that makes sense, you could be on a variable type mortgage and your payment could stay the same for a year or so. It doesn't mean it will go up. The most yeah. common type of them is a tracker mortgage, which follows the Bank of England base rate. So yeah. if the base rate goes up, your mortgage will go up. If the base rate goes down, your mortgage will go down. And if it stays mm -hmm. the same each month, it stays the same. For most of your listeners, my imagination would be there'll be first-time buyers with lower-end deposits, sort of 10 15%. The vast majority of products in the market are fixed rate at that loan to value. Oh, okay. So, is there a reason for that? Um, they're a more popular choice, is the reason. And um, they're a more popular choice. We, we as a business, I, I know for a fact that we do a high percentage of fixed rates compared to what we do on the variable type mortgages because they're a really common choice. As you can imagine at the minute, a lot of people want some security and knowing what your payment is each month. It, definitely feel secure doesn't it yeah 100% and one thing that I think I found a little bit confusing is which fixed term to go for do I go for a two-year fixed term or do I go for a five-year fixed term um and the reason why I got a little bit confused because it was just you really have to like forward think like okay um you know what are your career progressions going to look like are you going to be on the same salary in two or five years would you like um to you know pay more after a certain amount of time so after two years would you like to then start paying more um or paying a little bit less like, do you know what I mean it's just it was a little bit of a it just made me think a bit too quick and being asked it there and then I didn't really feel like I had a lot of time to process like where I was going to be in like five years at like five years it'll be almost 30 so yeah it was just a little bit like right like what what am I doing so is one of the toughest questions and one of the toughest decisions you have to make because of the profound implications of it. Um, it's I wouldn't say I've got any advice. I could probably explain the basic benefits between a two-year and a five-year. And then again, so the biggest benefit of a five-year fixed rate is you get some longer-term stability, don't you? So most people's lives in five years' time will be relatively different to how they are now, so as you just described it. You know, your, your life in five years' time will be different. Um, the benefit you have to that is that you can then put it away, not think about it, and plan ahead. A, a five-year fixed rate typically is a little bit more expensive each month than a two-year fixed rate because you're paying for the security to be longer is the way that I would look at it. A two-year fixed rate on the flip side is a little bit cheaper um which means you can have slightly cheaper payments however two years will go around in a blink of an eye and then you'll need to remortgage or product transfer to to fix into a new deal if you choose to go for a fixed rate and again that's decisions potentially more fees to pay as well so that that's a consideration to make as i said at the start it's, it's not right or wrong it's just what suits your circumstances compared to your, your appetite for looking at the market again in two years compared to five. Okay, so 
if I was on a two-year fixed rate and I thought, oh no, this is going by too quickly, um, and I wanted to then change to a five-year fixed rate, would that be possible? So yes, you can change, and you could. However, there a lot of well, nearly every mortgage with a fixed rate comes with what we we call an early repayment charge, so a penalty for leaving the mortgage early. Um, so if you wanted to remortgage from your two-year fixed rate to a five-year fixed rate, you could. You just have to be comfortable that paying the early repayment charge during your mortgage was the right thing to do and made financial sense. Okay, so I think this is a perfect opportunity now to ask what actually is remortgaging. So th- there's a number of reasons people remortgage. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, again, one of these questions, because what happens, you're a first-time buyer, you buy your house, yeah. you're all excited, you get your first mortgage. And then two, three, five years later, your mortgage broker is ringing you back saying, hi, Hayley, hope you're well. Um, to let you know your mortgage is due for renewal, it's time to remortgage. And for a lot of people, it'll be the first time they've done it. So again, it throws up a whole host of questions that they've probably not considered before. In essence, a remortgage can be simply, you've come to the end of your product period, so be that the fixed tracker rate, whatever you're on. If you don't do anything, you're going to go on to the lender's standard variable rate, which often means your payments will go up. So remortgaging can be simply a case of not borrowing any more money, keeping your term the same, keeping your term the same, and switching to a new, most competitive deal in the marketplace. It's a really good opportunity to review the term of your mortgage, because historically, over time, the price of houses go up. So at the end of your fixed rate, you're likely to be in a better equity position. So the value of your house will have increased a bit, your mortgage will have gone down a bit. So rather than when you bought your house, you had sort of 10% deposit, which is then turned into equity once you buy the house, you may have say 15% equity in your house. So you can take a mortgage which is cheaper. So you can potentially shrink the term. You also may want to do an extension on your house. So you may wish to borrow more money, which is something you can do as well. if you state if your broker reviews the market for you and they work out that your current lender is the cheapest, it wouldn't be a remortgage. It's a product transfer. So that's just where you stay with the same bank and switch on to a new deal rather than going on to the variable. So when someone wants to remortgage and it's for like because they want like cash and hand purposes, what would the, what is that like? What does that look like? What is that process? Um. It's relatively straightforward. Again, the first thing you're going to do is I'd recommend speaking to a broker because if you are in a fixed rate mortgage, for example, you've got an early repayment charge. There's quite a lot of options to you for you not to pay the early repayment charge. So, for example, you could take some further borrowing from your current bank if that was possible. If you've got a high early repayment charge, it could be quite sensible to look at a a second charge mortgage where you take some further borrowing from a different bank. or it could be worth paying off the early repayment charge if it's lower and going to a new bank and borrowing the extra money. There's always a lot to think about. It looks overall, though, Hayley, no different to when you're a first-time buyer. The broker's going to want all the same information. What you can borrow is going to be based on the value of your house and your income and expenditure, and they will look at that, work out what the best option is for you. You'd go through the process, and ultimately, at the end of it, you would end up with the additional money in your bank account. Okay, yeah, that makes so much sense. And I feel like that's been broken down so nicely um, in a way where it's very easy to digest that information. And um, yeah, one thing I also wanted to look at, um, like I mentioned before, is interest rates. Because 
I think it can be a little bit confusing on what is a good interest rate and what is um, a bit too much of a high interest rate. Um, I personally found it confusing, so I don't know if anyone else would find it confusing. So yeah, kind of just touching on what would be considered as a low, or what would be considered as a high or like a reasonable interest rate. Because one thing I found a bit confusing was that, although yes, you meant to shop around, if one lender's offering me 3.4 and another one's offering me 3.6, then why would I not just go with the 3.4? Cause some, some advisors were telling me go for this product, even though the, the interest rate was higher. So I couldn't really wrap my head around why would I go with a higher interest? To be fair, a, a really big question to answer Haley. So there's a few things that dictate the interest rate you're going to get. Um, the first one is the general marketplace. So, most rates from most big banks will vary somewhat. However, if you think about the biggest six lenders in the UK, they're not going to vary wildly because they're, they're all competing for business. The, the two things that dictate interest rate the most, and again, they're both based on the risk of the loan, is the size of your deposit. So the bigger deposit you have, the cheaper interest rate you're going you're gonna to get because the less risk there is for the bank. And also the other biggest determining factor is yeah. how your credit is so your credit profile so if you've got a loan you're paying it nicely you've got a really good credit rating you're going to get a cheaper deal if you've got somewhat uh, checkered credit history especially in the last few years a lender is going to charge a premium because they would consider you more risky so you're going to pay a higher rate so i think the first concern that is not just the interest rate that makes up the cost of your mortgage there's the fees as well so a mortgage broker is going to look at the total cost of your mortgage over, say, if you took a two-year fixed rate, they'll look at it over the two years. So the mortgage they present you, it might might not be the cheapest interest rate in the market. It would definitely be the cheapest mortgage for you in the market, which is, is different. Um, also, not every lender will lend the same. So, you know, you could see an interest rate advertised. You said 3.6%. You could see one at 3.4% advertised. However, if you're not eligible for that product because you're income doesn't allow that particular to lend to you that 3.6 percent deal in your example would be a good deal because it would be the cheapest one available for you um for me the easiest way to check is ask the broker to turn the screen around show you their sourcing system and let and just explain what's going on explain their advice to you so that you feel comfortable that it's correct yeah i i completely agree with this speaking to multiple different mortgage brokers i think is really essential when especially when you're a first-time buyer because different brokers will give you like different sense of comfort um they'll give you different experiences in terms of their support and how they guide you and how they talk to you about um what you're about to encounter and um i was comparing it to the mortgage broker that was attached to the estate agent to an independent mortgage broker and i did find they worked very differently um and i actually went with the independent mortgage broker in the end oh, yeah so i laughed at you when you said it there because that that's such a common thing that we see as well and i i understand why you feel what you feel like that so Brokers will have access to a slightly different panel of lenders is the industry term that we would use. So that's just a selection of lenders that they can work with. So and, and also one broker may show you everything in the market before really understanding your situation because they just want to give you an idea and they're trying to help you understand what, what your payments might be. Another broker may may take a bit more time before they choose to show you what's available and then really understand your circumstances mm -hmm. and choose to show you only the products that they believe they'll be eligible you'll be eligible for mm -hmm. so, 
and ultimately, it, for me, if you're selecting a mortgage broker, like any professional, you just need to select someone that you trust and you feel you can work with. So if, if you have a doubt in your mind that they're not showing you the cheapest deal, you should probably be using a different broker. Yeah, I completely agree. And even when I was looking for my mortgage, um, I spoke to quite a few different brokers um, just because I just wanted to get a feel of like how they were um what they could offer me and also like it was really important for me like how they broke it down because I'm not good with the numbers so I like things to be like visual and when people just explain things in a more simplistic way and they kind of like talk it through in like baby terms like this is this this is that it just resonates more in my head um another question that I had for you was do you think someone should go straight to a mortgage broker or just directly to their bank so you're asking really not tough questions, Haley, but the, the, the type of question where I, I'm trying to be diplomatic with my answer. So look, I am I am massively biased. However, I'm biased for a reason. So there is there's plenty of the brokers that work in the, the team I have at the minute that have come from banking. Right? They've been bank advisors. There is absolutely nothing wrong with getting a mortgage from a bank direct. I'll say that now. It wouldn't be my preferred way of doing it, and I'll explain to you why. However, if that is your choice and you feel most comfortable doing that, that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. The advantages you have over a mortgage broker compared to a bank is they're going to give you a really good view of the marketplace. So, for example, and you talked ago a little while ago about how do I know I'm getting the best deal? If you walk into bank A, they may or may not know that bank B next door can give you a cheaper mortgage. They're not going to tell you. And okay. they're going to tell you because they don't have to. And, and that's okay. That's how it works. So you could then potentially pop around 15 banks. That's definitely going to take you some time. You're going to get go through 15 different mortgage interviews, fact finds with those banks to work out where you are. Or you can go and see one mortgage broker and they can potentially look at 50 lenders for you in about the same amount of time. So for me, it's going to save uh-huh. you some time. Also depends on your income, your employment status. Some banks are more favourable to self-employed people than others. Some banks are more favourable to favourable to people that do agency work or temporary work. Think other situations like that. A, a broker will know that, so they will know that if they're looking at a bank, it may look like a really great deal. However, if that lender is not going to accept your employment status, there's no point doing it. And that's something you probably wouldn't know until you'd spent a fair chunk of time with each bank. Yeah, and I think that's it really. Like when I went to the bank and spoke to the mortgage advisor there, um, great experience, can't even fault it. The guy was absolutely lovely. Um, But again, as you said, like going to a broker, kind of time saving as well. Um, and obviously you get like a wider overview of what you're eligible for. Um, but one other question that I had for you is a question that I get quite a lot. So how is someone's mortgage calculated? So I'm aware that there's like a general type of like rule of thumb, which is like 4.5 times your salary and you know, people's financial circumstances impact that as well. So if they have ch- children, cars and finance um if they have received any benefits anything anything like that um i know that plays a part but also is there anything else that people need to be aware of alongside things that i've just mentioned and things like credit scores as well yes so 
the 4.5 times your salary is something that is probably quite historic for the industry now for uh, um at the same time it's, it's not a bad rule of thumb i, I wouldn't discount uh -huh. it because if um one of my guys wants to have a quick sense check or something they'll probably grab their calculator and multiply the income by 4.5 by the way just to get an idea of where they're starting however that wouldn't be advice we give to our clients on the other hand that's just for them to get a quick idea if what the client's looking to do is is going to be feasible or not so lenders use what they call affordability and they have affordability calculators that is a tool where your broker will put in what you're earning what your liabilities are so car payment credit card payment loan payment student loan um, they would put in if you had children, any other commitments you had, different lenders ask different questions. And at the end, it will then calculate how much you can borrow. And it's doing two things. Firstly, it's looking at where you sort of said 4.5 times your salary. That is without using too many industry acronyms, it would be loan to income. So a lender will have a rule in the background that says we don't care about anything else. The maximum we will lend is a certain amount of time. Someone's yeah. They'll also have their calculator that says we may not always lend the maximum because if you have a lot of debt, if you have a lot of commitments, if you're taking your mortgage for a potentially a shorter amount of time, that calculator would spit out a lower number. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So it's in fundamentally, it's based on the amount of money you earn and the amount of money you spend on your commitments and then how much a lender feels you can afford to pay each month for your mortgage will determine how much they're willing to lend you. That's great. Yeah, that's great because um, I do... But I even had this conversation with someone at work as well today about affordability and just, like, um, all their kind of, like, outgoings and just kind of getting a bit worried, like, like what do I need to change? Um, to prepare myself um, for to actually get a mortgage because a lot of people um, that listen are actually in their stages of just savings and also fixing their financial um, situation so a lot of people want to know like what do they need to change what do they need to do something to kind of like plan towards so um, in the past a lot of people have actually said you know not to take a car out on finance but is there anything else that people can do to prepare themselves they take it into account but it doesn't automatically mean it's going to reduce what you can borrow and that's how affordability works so just because you've got a car on finance which is which is really common it's, it's the way most people buy cars nowadays on either mm -hmm. ccp or lease that it doesn't mean it's going to affect what you can borrow it may do so if you've got a massive car payment compared to your income th then yes absolutely it's going to affect what you can borrow however if you've got a sensible car payment and you're earning sort of an average salary it potentially won't affect what you can borrow at all there's there's so much people can do at the same time i, I understand the comment mm -hmm. about don't take a car out on finance however if you really need a car you really need a car so yeah there has to be there's all there always has to be some balance there's probably two things that you can do yourself before you go and speak to a mortgage broker or, or anyone really is get a copy of your credit report there's plenty of companies you can go that either give you a free trial or that you can just get it for free and just have a look at it and understand what you're looking at understand how a bank is going to see you so if it's got loads of green circles or squares on it you know you're winning if you look at it and you actually think do you know what i've only got a couple of accounts 
it's really good thing. A lot of people will go and get a credit card with a low limit. They will spend a little bit of money on it each month and they'll ensure they pay it off and they pay it off on time because paying it late is going to not put you in a good position. In fact, it's going to make getting a mortgage significantly more difficult. And, and that can build up your credit profile over time so that a lender will see you more favorably paying back debt. The, the other thing you can do is just really think about the area that you're going to buy a house in and consider that if I, at the minute, you, you're going to need a 10% deposit unless you buy a new build and use help to buy, that what does a 10% deposit look like for that property in the area that I want to live? So, and then you get an idea of where you're starting. A lot of people, the first house they have isn't, isn't their forever home, is it? It's a stepping stone. So it's absolutely okay to buy you know, your, your first house isn't a palace. My, my first house definitely wasn't a palace. In fact, my house now is not a palace. How, however, you work on it, don't you? You, you move you, you move up the market over time. And, and being on the market and owning your own house, you know, you'll, you'll be building equity over time as well, which is, which is always useful. I, I would, unless your circumstances are different, I'd always encourage people to, you know, buy, buy a, an affordable property in an area where they want to live rather than worrying about, can I buy that big four bed detached in the most, bestest area in town yes exactly and what you said there is really really important like you can move up your ladder um well not your ladder you can move up the property ladder um so the first house you buy does not have to be the house you live in forever and i think some people get that a little bit confused because sometimes the house Mm. that they were born in is the house that they're still still living in now and some people's financial situations have meant that they can't move um but when you buy your own when you buy your own house obviously as you said before you can gain equity the equity that you get you can now use that equity to now purchase a bigger home in a more desirable area or an area that suits you more or a house that suits you more if you're already in your desired area so yeah sometimes just getting on that ladder is great um and like i said as you said sorry before house prices typically tend to go up so really and truly well unless it's like a new build right sometimes it can go down first but you know house prices do tend to go up so just getting on that ladder is absolutely fantastic for those people that are really keen to get on the property ladder right now are they able to just buy with absolutely anybody like can they buy with their friend their mom their dad their cousin their partner is there a criteria of who you can get a mortgage with? Um, so you can literally get a mortgage with anyone and then there's going to come a however. However, I think the bank would want it to make sense. So if you were going to buy a house with a friend, I think that and you were buying a two bed house. I, I think that would be absolutely fine because they'd understand you're going to live in each room. There's some thoughts about that is what's going to happen if one of you wants to sell it and one of you's not. Now, that's always an issue when you buy with friends. Um, you could buy with a parent. It wouldn't be uncommon to buy with a, you know, part buying with a partner is the most common thing. Um, it's, it's just the sensibility of it and actually the practicality for yourself is that if you buy a house with someone, is say your friend, what's then going to happen in the future is maybe not the easiest thing to undo quickly. And this, I think the, the biggest difference between buying with a partner and buying with a friend is if you buy with a friend, the chances are at some point one of you is not going to want to live in the house anymore. If you buy with a partner, you buy with the plan to stay together. If that makes sense. So you're Yeah, and I think that's less the, likely to the key thing that you said there, to be fair, Mike. Like, you just need to do 
do your due diligence and understand like what's gonna happen. So if you do buy it with someone that's not like a partner or a specific family member, like what happens after um, you wanna sell it off or what happens during the process of one of you guys wanting to sell up um, and if you are living in it, what happens when one of you wants to move out? So just making sure you've got that clarification beforehand obviously makes that whole process so much easier. Um, but it's coming to that time now where we need to wrap things up Firstly, I'd like to say thank you so, so, so much for all the valuable information that you provided on this episode. Um, It's been a lot and some of it, um, like I said before, I'm going to make into a post so it's easily digestible um, for the listeners as well. Um, And lastly, would you like to would you like to promote any of your services? Let people know where they can find you. Um, what what I would say, rather than promoting the company I work for, um, I, I would prefer to say, Hayley, that if you're thinking about buying a property, getting a mortgage, you should contact a mortgage broker or two and go and mm-hmm. use the one that you're most comfortable with. Ra- rather than me saying that well, we've spoke for 30, 35 minutes today, you come, come and use the company I work for. I'd, I'd love you to, by the way. However, I think it's more important that you, you go and find someone you're comfortable with because ultimately you're making one of the biggest decisions in your life and, and you need to be happy you're doing the right thing. You're so humble. Um, but no, seriously, like, obviously, you have explained things really, really well. And those are qualities that people are going to want to look for in a mortgage broker. So um, I believe that you can be based anywhere, right? As a mortgage broker, like, you haven't got to be close to where the no not at all so lives. nowadays Haley, you know you and i we met on clubhouse right talk talking in a room there so how you meet people nowadays is mad compared to how you did even 12 months ago um the guys i work with a lot of mortgage brokers they they will do things by zoom microsoft Teams. so no, it doesn't matter where you're based a, a good mortgage broker will will look after you if you you live in london and they live in sheffield or vice versa it really makes yeah. a difference and some people like that face-to-face service don't they even where we are now they'll want to go meet the person where it's you know where yeah it's that's fun and well either way you'll be like tagged on this podcast as well so that it'll be very easy for people to find you but yeah thank you so much for being a part of this podcast today and i hope that you've enjoyed it Hayley, it's been really good. I really hope that all your listeners find some value in our conversation today and it, it helps them move their goal of buying a home forward.